0: Well, it's Christ the King Sunday, and, you know, before we talk about Christ the King, I think it's one thing that's important to get out on the table is kind of what our expectations for a king are, um, and the way I would translate that is just what our expectations for a ruler are, um, uh, and, uh, I, you know, in Chicago, where I'm from, one of the expectations that I picked up for the mayor of Chicago was it's, you know, it's okay if you're a little dirty as long as you, you know keep the city nice, you know. As long as we kind of have a thriving downtown and everything's nice and people are happy and you build the parks, if you take a little, skim a little off the top or, you know, get things done in an underhanded way, like, you know, we just don't want to hear about it. Um, It's just interesting. I'd never been in a city, had that kind of expectation before. And then I moved to D.C. and, you know, a large part of the population in D.C., they have an attitude towards their rulers of, um, you know, as long as you feel my pain... uh, It's okay if you're corrupt. It just baffles me. You know, as long as you feel my pain, it's okay if you're corrupt. And so, um, but, you know, I think uh, actually a more common expectation that we all have for our rulers is get the job done, okay? Solve the problem, stop messing around, figure out the solution, and get the job done. And I think even, you know, in the United States, a lot of people are crying out for, like, just get us out of this recession. Just do what it takes to get us out and solve the problem. Um, And um, so my question to you is... What are your expectations for a leader? You know, whether it's your parent or your boss or the mayor of Harrisonburg or city council of Harrisonburg, you know, or Aubrey. What's your expectations for what a good ruler would be? Because I think what's going to happen is that when Christ comes as king and he shows us what his kingship looks like, there's going to be a little bit of a clash and it's going to be instructive. And so today I just want to teach you one simple thing about Christ's kingship. I'm not going to say everything that needs to be said. Uh, I'm going to teach you one thing, and I just hope that you remember it. Uh, and it's this. Christ rules the world one sheep at a time. Christ rules the world one sheep at a time. Now, okay, in my education, I was taught, don't mix metaphors, okay? My English teacher is very careful. Don't mix metaphors. Today, I'm, com- I'm breaking that rule with joy because um, the Bible does it. Um, the Bible calls Jesus king, but he also calls him shepherd. And so what happens when you mix those metaphors? Here's what you get. You get a really, really effective ruler who gives personal care and attention to every single person that he rules, which I think we all want anyway. You know, we would feel better about the mayor or the city council member if they actually knew us personally. They knew what our problems were. They knew what our concerns were. They knew us inside and out, and they cared for us. Well, we would trust them a lot better, you know, in, in, in the leadership roles that they had. That's the role that Jesus plays. It's an inefficient, slow, personal attention to every single sheep that he comes across. And sometimes that attention isn't very nurturing, as we read, you know, as we'll see in Ezekiel. Um, sometimes it's judgment. But every single person on the world will answer to Jesus. Every single sheep will, will interact with him. Um, and that's what makes him such a good king. That's what makes him such an effective king. Jesus rules the world one sheep at a time. Jesus rules the world one single sheep at a time. Um, he discerns the motivations of each person that he comes across. He knows the needs of every person that he comes across. He knows the histories of every person that he comes across. Every person in this room, he has intimate knowledge of what brought you here. And the fact that you're here is no accident at all. Um, now, um, I have a hard time with this one sheep at approach, uh, one sheep at a time approach. Let me tell you why. Um, there's some big problems in the world. Uh, we had um, uh, a, an author come to our church last week. His name's Daniel Walker, and he wrote this book called God in a Brothel. God in a Brothel. I really recommend it. Um, if you start it, you might finish it in five hours. It's an absolute page turner. It's about um, it's it's uh, uh, Daniel Walker is a is a man who spent four years working undercover in the um, sex trafficking industry, and he would go around the world uh, to to brothels where um, usually it was uh, little girls or teenage girls uh, who were who were taken from their homes um, or or lie, you know lied to so they would leave their homes and then they were trapped they were trapped in a in a situation where they were slaves. Um, and um, he, would, he would infiltrate these. He would, he would wear, a mic, wear a camera, capture all the, um, all the you know, condemning evidence, take it to the authorities um, that would actually prosecute, and then they would prosecute the owners of the brothels and, and in many cases free the, the women and the children that were trapped there. And he tells the story in this book. Now, he told us something that blew me away. There are more human slaves alive today than at any other time in human history. There are more human slaves alive today. That are locked up this morning. Than um, all the slaves from the from the slave trade. When it, when it was at its height. Several hundred years ago. More human slaves alive today. Than when William Wilberforce passed his legislation in England. To ban, sla- to ban the slave trade. Um, and uh, two million of those slaves are children. Okay. So when I think about Christ the king. You know you know what I want? I want Christ the King to come and solve the problem. I want Him to fix that problem because I care about those children. Um, And Jesus will fix the problem. Uh, But He's going to do it in ways that are frustrating for us. He's going to do it one sheep at a time. Um, It's going to be slow. It's going to be personal. But it's going to be sure. And that's what makes Him a good ruler. I want to turn to Ezekiel 34. Uh, and be ready there. Just uh, keep your place in Ezekiel 34. And as you're doing that, um, I want to begin with prayer. Lord, thank you so much uh, that you have come to be our king. I pray that this morning as we open your word, you would give us hope uh, in, in your rule as a shepherd king. I pray that you would rule us well, one sheep at a time. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, one of the criticisms that Daniel Walker got were from people who said the same thing that perhaps we would say to Jesus. they, They said, Daniel Walker, why do you take this approach? The real problem is the economic problem. If you solve the economic problem, there wouldn't be brothels like in Indonesia, for instance. Just make the economic conditions better on the macro level and all this micro stuff you wouldn't have to worry about. Because guess what? If you free some slaves, there's so many people, there's so much supply that they're just going to be replaced with other other children. And here's what he says. uh, Here's what he says in his book. Uh, He says, I found that the easiest way to silence such pretensions was to ask the advocates of such a position what efforts they would go to should their own wife, their own sister, their own daughter their own niece or granddaughter, were were tricked or forced into slavery. How far would they go and how much money would they spend to invade a brothel where their own flesh and blood was being held as a captive? Right? If you're a mother, (laughs) if you're a father, it doesn't matter what the macro conditions are. You care enough about those individual girls that you would 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 go right into the midst of the danger to rescue them, wouldn't you? If you're a mother or father... um, Uh, With love for your children. That's the heart of Jesus the king as we open up Ezekiel 34. He has children that have been taken from him and put in exile. The Assyrians came through. They defeated Israel. They took Israel as slaves, okay? They didn't welcome them as guests in their home. They took them as slaves. And, And Jesus the king... Um, we recognize God's voice as Jesus the King's voice ultimately in, Z- in Ezekiel 34 is a letter from a parent to a child saying, I'm coming to get you and I'm going to care about you and I'm going to care for you um, because his people were in exile. Exile uh, is uh, what Ezekiel 34:12 12 says, um, what happens when you're scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. Clouds and thick darkness. This is not, you know, they decided to go on a road trip when the weather was bad. That, that kind of clouds and thick darkness, it was, you were taken from your parents. Um, the, some, in some cases, the men were killed uh, and the women were sold. Um, that's exile. Exile is when you're in a foreign land and meanwhile, you know that your home is being destroyed and it's never, ever going to be the same. You're never going to be able to go home and it, like it used to be because your lives have been destroyed, your homes have been destroyed. Um, you're in exile. Right now, there are uh, Iraqi Christians in exile. Did you know this? They, uh, a few, up until a few years ago there was kind of a thriving um, middle upper class Christian population in Baghdad and um, in the last several years the authorities have said hey you can convert to Islam pay the tax and we won't kill you how's that for a deal and they said no deal we're not converting we're Christians we, answer, we have allegiance to Jesus and so they said okay well guess what consequences are coming so Iraqi Christians have, have fled to Syria and right now they're sweeping streets to stay alive um, they're barely hanging on. Barnabas' aid um, is collecting money to, to give them food. I mean, these are people who can supply for themselves, but that's what happens in exile. Food gets taken away from you. It becomes a matter of survival. And so this is what's happened to God's people uh, who, who are being addressed in Ezekiel 34. They've been scattered. They're surviving. Um, they're in slavery. So what's God going to do about it? What would you do if you were the mom and dad of, of children taken into, uh, taken into slavery? What would you do? Let's read Ezekiel 34, um, starting with verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I will appoint a professional to search for my sheep. Is that what it says? (laughs) Uh, Behold, uh, I I myself will get some new sheep because that's a more efficient way of ruling the world. It's it's a better macroeconomic policy. No. Behold, Listen, this is what God says to his children. I, I myself will search for my sheep, not the sheep. These are my sheep. These are my children and I will seek them out. What makes a shepherd such an amazing leader is that they have personal care and they they know personally of each of their sheep. It's almost as if these sheep have an internal tracking device that the shepherd, you know, is connected to the shepherd's brain. And the shepherd recognizes, first of all, where they would go if they were lost. And also, you know, where they are. He goes right into the, to the heart of darkness and rescues them. He, he sees them and he goes, oh, that's not just any sheep. That's what? That's my sheep. That's my child. And this is what makes Jesus' rule so good uh, it is because his quality control is so high. He has personal knowledge of, of each sheep. And so um, he goes into the heart of darkness and he tracks them down. Um, uh, what happens after the rescue? What happens after he, he gets those sheep, scoops them up? You know, they're hurting, they need care. And so what does he do? Uh, let's see, verse 13. And I will bring them out of, out from the peoples and gather them from the countries... And will bring them into their own land. You know, nothing's better than going home. Nothing is better than going home, where the people and the place and the food all come together for you know to to nourish you in both in calories and also familiarity. Um, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines, and in the inhabited places of the country. This is good care. This is good quality care for every single sheep. Um, what's more, he says this in verse 16, just skipping down. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. So, you know, if you're injured, you get medical care. If you're lost, you get found. Um, if you're hungry, you get fed. Jesus rules the world one sheep at a time. Um, it's down to earth, it's humble. It's inefficient. Uh, it's slow. It's patient. That's, you know, when, when we look at the, the, the front of your bulletins um, with the, the picture of the victorious king, you know, what do you see here? Do you, <laughs> do you, see, uh, do you see a king who's going to sit at the top and just work in abstractions? That's not what you should see. You should see a king who gets involved in the muck and the mud. And the daily uh, needs of his sheep. That's what this guy will do for you. This is what he. This is how he has treated his his children. This is what he's describing in Ezekiel thirty-four. He rules the world one sheep at a time. Okay, uh, it's 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 harder to do that, isn't it? It's harder to do that. Like it would be easier to fly a plane, you know, that would that would um, plant seed, you know, in a really efficient way. It'd be harder to do or be easier to do that. Um, than to be a farmer on the ground um, planting each seed one at a time, knowing exactly where it should go, isn't it? It's easier to deal in abstraction with people than to get involved in the mess of people's lives and take patient care and attention to them. But that's the example that Jesus is set. Jesus sets. Um, now, some sheep get need justice. They've been selfish. They've been exploiting their fellow sheep. And so how does Jesus deal with them? Let's read verses uh, 20 through 22. Therefore says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, I myself, will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Because you push with side and shoulder and thrust uh, at at all the weak with your horns till you have scattered them abroad, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. Jesus brings justice to sheep that have been unjust. Um, And ultimately, Jesus' mercy and Jesus' justice meet at the cross. That's how even unjust sheep now uh, can receive care and be part of God's family. Because actually, Jesus took the judgment uh, of the unjust, exploitive sheep on himself and paid their penalty. And so now, he's able to to give them care as well. Anyone who comes to him and is willing to serve him as king. um, He can be your king because he's taken the time to be personally involved in the details of your life. He hasn't stayed in abstractions. You know, it's no, it's no accident, is it, that you're here at Church of the Incarnation. You, your presence here, even this morning, whether you're a committed member, part of the core team, or whether you're a curious visitor, it's a demonstration of His care for you that you have found yourself here in a new home with with family and a place... And a meal uh, that is much more uh, uh, fundamental to, your, to, uh, to who you are as a Christian. Um, your presence here at Church of the Incarnation is a demonstration of Jesus' care for you. Um, he's personally brought you here. So if that's how Jesus deals with, with the world, if he rules the world one sheep at a time, what implications would that have for the mission of Incarnation? When I think about mission, again, I go to get the job done on the macro level, right solve big problems and and uh, and and make a huge impact with a lot of people, right? Build an assembly line where lots and lots of needs get met and and just have a real powerful impact on the world but But if Jesus is going one person at a time, what does that mean for? For the mission of the church, for the outreach of the church. I think it has a big impact. Notice what Jesus said in, in uh, Matthew 25, the gospel lesson from today. He said, I was hungry and you gave me something, something to eat. I was a hungry person and you gave me something to eat. He did not say, I was the Sudanese famine and you solved me. <laughs> um, okay? He said, I was a person in prison. I was in prison and you visited me. <laughs> he didn't say, I was the, um, the D.C. prison system and you reformed me. Um, I was a hungry person. I wasn't the homeless population. I was a hungry person, and you gave me something to eat. I was a naked person. You clothed me. That's what I wanted from you. I I wanted you to sort of follow in the shepherding lead that I set for you um, as king. And so, you know, we associate mission of the church with grandiose programs, but Jesus approaches mission in a much more down-to-earth connected uh, way. He makes it actually a lot more human. Uh, A lot more sustainable, quite frankly. Um, You know, let's just say you encounter someone who's hungry and they ask you for food. What's easier? To put them into an assembly line program where they get fed or to offer them hospitality? To actually open your table to them. That's a lot harder because what does it involve? It It involves sort of personal involvement with that person's life it involves you kind of knowing the intimacies of of their life the details sometimes it's messy sometimes it's frustrating sometimes it's draining but it's person to person one person at a time that's how jesus ministers through us to the world i think over the long term that has a larger impact on the city that has a larger impact on harrisonburg on the towns that we live in um this is the way of jesus i recently um heard a report about the uh, tomato industry. You guys familiar with this report? It Basically, uh, uh, what, they, what they exposed was that uh, there's a year-round demand for tomatoes. You know, people want tomatoes in February. Problem. Tomatoes don't grow in February, you know, under normal conditions. And so what, what um, certain companies have figured out is, hey, if we, if we use the right hormones, if we use the right pesticides, if we use the right gases... We can, we can produce tomatoes that look perfect and we can sell them in February in the supermarkets, okay? It's a brilliant system. What happens when you bite into one of those tomatoes? <laughs> Tastes like a machine made it, doesn't it? I mean, it's, yeah, plastic is a great way of describing it. Flavorless. You know, a lot of people feel like they've, a lot of people feel like that tomato. Like, I was an efficiency problem to be solved by you, and so you ran me through the assembly line. And now here I am, my, the problem solved, but inside I feel empty. A lot of marriages feel like that. I've only been given the minimum amount of time and attention to really thrive. A lot of kids feel like that. I've only been given the minimum amount of attention that I need. We, we're made for inefficient care. Um, my wife uh, is a great gardener. I wish you could meet her. Someday we'll come down again when you can meet my wife. Um, she's much prettier than I am. Um, but, um, she, she discovered these tomatoes for our backyard and they're called heirloom tomatoes. you familiar with heirloom tomatoes and they're, you know, they're just, they're passed down from gardener to gardener. You know, there's a few different varieties you can get and they're not as efficient and they don't yield as much of a crop. You know, the, the, uh, the, uh, 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 I guess the, the quantity is not as high as like the tomato industry has figured out. A lot of weeding, a lot of watering, a lot of like hand-picking those little bugs off the plants, the, you know, a lot of, you know, scaring away the vermins, a lot of work for these uh, heirloom tomatoes. But when you bite into one of those heirloom tomatoes, you can taste the inefficiency, can't you? You can taste the patience. Um, I'm sure that some of you, you know, eating a bowl of good, taste the inefficiency, and it's, and it's good inefficiency, Um we're tempted to treat people's problems like, an, like, like it's just an efficiency problem to be solved. Just run them through, create a big booming program, and just fix the world. Jesus rules the world one sheep at a time, and he calls us to nothing more than that. Um, so here's a question for you. Um, is there someone in your circle of influence that you could spend more inefficient time showing them the love of Christ? Someone that you could spend a little bit more time caring for them, more time listening to them, more time in conversation with them, more, back, you know, putting them in your back pocket, letting them tag along with you to the grocery store, um, uh, letting them come uh, with you around your Thanksgiving table, uh, making a home for them. It, are there people in your life that you're ignoring because you get a sense that I can't fix their problems right away? If so, uh, consider. Would Jesus, the shepherd king, the one who rules one sheep at a time, call you to a similar ministry that he shows in Ezekiel 34? Inefficient, slow, patient care of a shepherd with a lot of love, willing to spend a lot of inefficient time um, caring for his flock. Let's pray.